It's a blessing to be able to stand before you again as that person who will break the bread of life to these God's people. You all don't know it, but I always thank God for the opportunity. I thank him for the opportunity because after 20 some years of pastoring that he still had something for me to do. And so I say also this morning, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. God, I'm always grateful to be an oracle for you. I thank you, O oh God, for this another opportunity. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take complete control. Preach. Holy Spirit, preach. Teach. Holy Spirit, teach. And when you said everything you have to say, I pray, oh God, that none of us will leave here the way we came. That him, praise God, from whom all blessings fall. Some of us may not know it, but it's the fifth verse of a hymn entitled, all praise to thee, my God, this night. And this hymn was written back in the 1600s by Bishop Ken Beck. And uh, the interesting thing about this hymn from which our doxology comes is that this verse of praise stems from the challenges of life the life of Dr. or Bishop Ken. And Bishop Ken wrote this hymn because he had the need for forgiveness, the need to be at peace, the need not to be afraid of death, and the need to serve God. It was in Bishop Thomas Ken's time of need that he offered this liturgical praise of expression to God. And so if you ever have questions why we ought to say thank you, when thank you is due, when thank you is necessary, when thank you is in order, Consider this story from which our text 
is taken on this day. From the scripture we read and from the incident that Luke records here in the 17th chapter of Luke, we take our text from verses 15 and 16, which read, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And our topic today is I'm up to my eyeballs in debt. The incident that Luke describes took place while Jesus was walking through Samaria on his way to Jerusalem and was approached by a group of 10 men who had been outcasts from society because they had a dreadful disease called leprosy. And in those days, leprosy was considered an incurable disease. And once a person contracted it, they were banned from society. They had to live outside the city. They depended on family or people who cared about them to bring them food. They were required to wear torn clothing so people would recognize them as lepers. They had to let their hair be unkempt, cover parts of of the lower parts of their faces and cry as they cry out as they were walking along so people would not get close to them. They cried out, unclean, unclean, and they were considered unclean and untouchable. And in this particular group of outcasts, there were nine Jews and one Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans would not normally get along, and they certainly did not live or worship together. You all remember the Hatfields and the McCoys? It was sound of something like that. And in uh, this particular group of outcasts, I said it before, there were nine Jews and one Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans didn't get along, and they certainly didn't worship together. But because of their illness... All ten men had this one thing in common, which was leprosy, and they were outcasts, and they were rejects by society. Society sometimes, y'all, will even...
even deal you a bad hand. Even though they are people just like you and me. Even though they have issues just like you and me. It could be sometimes that we don't look like the other folk look. And so they ostracize us. We are not from the same race sometimes and folks will ostracize us. But the thing about it is, my brothers and my sisters, is that God loves us. That God is no respecter of persons. That no matter what our situation is, no matter what our diseases are, God loves us. God will heal us. God will cure us of whatever it is that ails us. In this particular group of outcasts, these nine Jews and one Samaritan, like I said, they would not ordinarily, ordinarily get along, and they certainly did not worship together and uh, but because of their illness all 10 men had this thing in common they had leprosy actually it was two things they had leprosy and they were rejected by society that what that rejection was what brought these nine Jews and one Samaritan together. Sometimes it seems like when you're going through rough times and that the rough time is like my rough time, you and I can hang together and it does not matter what our backgrounds are. Luke tells us that as Jesus was passing by, These men called out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. These ten men, even though there were nine Jews and one Samaritan, they all had hope. Each one of them had the same kind of hope. And they had hope for healing. These men cried out, Master, have mercy on us. And a significant note about their plea was that term, Master. Some of us don't know it, but Master means the chief command. They called on the right one, Master. I call him every now and then. More often than probably he needs for me to. Master. The master commander. Have you ever had to call? The master commander. Warren Wearsby noted that these men knew that Jesus was totally in command of even disease and death 
and they trusted Jesus to help them. These men had hope and their hope was Jesus. They knew that Jesus would have mercy on them, but they did not know that Jesus would also test their faith. My brothers and my sisters, Jesus tests our faith sometimes. We can call on him. We can testify about how good he is. But then there are times when he tests us to see just how much we believe in him. He will put us in situations where we don't know how we're going to come out of it. Whether we're going to come out of it. And then what we're going to do when we come out of it. After the ten men made their request, Jesus told them to go and show yourself to the priest. Did you notice that Jesus didn't touch him? He just said, go and, and show yourself. He just spoke to them. And they went off running. And they were rejoicing that the master commander gave them an opportunity for healing. They knew that Jesus would have mercy on them. That's why they called him in the first place. They knew that the master would solve their situation. They didn't know about the test, though. And after the men made their request to Jesus, he told them to go and show yourself. And according to Jewish law, only the priest could declare a person healed and cleared from leprosy and returned to society. And so when Jesus told them to go, he was assuring them that when they saw the priests, they would be made clean. And you know something else? It was awesome that as they were moving in the direction of the priests, they would look at themselves and see the boils going away. They would look at themselves and see that the chafed skin and the discoloration was disappearing. How many of us got that kind of faith today? Where Jesus said, just go show yourself to the priest and I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be healed. Some of us would say, but Jesus, you didn't touch me. Jesus, you didn't press this boil that's right here on my hand. But he tested their faith. And after the ten men made their request, and Jesus healed them, 
and he sent them to the priest. And Jesus told them to go, and he was assuring them that when they saw the priest, he would, they would be a pronounced clean. How many of us, if Jesus said just go and you'll be healed, and we're going to believe that we are clean. Luke said in verse 14, and so it was that they went there and were cleansed. Awesome. That they may not sense, that may not make sense to some folk. But these men chose to believe. I encourage us this morning, brothers and sisters, to choose to believe. That he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That he said, I will heal all manner of diseases. And the word says now of them, when he saw that he was being healed as he walked to the location of the priest, this was the Samaritans. Now the other Jews, I don't know what happened to them. I don't know where they went. But the Jews couldn't hang with the Samaritans because they just were not on the same accord. The Samaritan, though, he turned back because he recognized that he had received the mercy that Jesus, that they had asked Jesus for. Now, let me tell you what mercy means. Mercy is defined as receiving from God what you don't deserve. Receiving from God what we don't deserve. You know, we always mess up every now and then. We are sinners every now and then. Sometimes all the time. But the thing about us, he'll still show us mercy. He told us, he promised us in Psalm 23 that grace and mercy would follow us all the days of our lives. Not just some days, not holidays, not Christmas, not New Year's, not Thanksgiving, but all the days of our lives. The word says, now one of them, when he saw that he was being healed as he walked toward the location of the priest. I like that part. And so he turned back. He turned back because he recognized that he had received mercy. And so 
this lone leper, turned it back because he recognized that he had received mercy and this reality overpowered him. And he had to go back because he knew he was up to his eyeballs in debt. He had to let Jesus know, I got to come back. You healed me and I owe you everything. My family couldn't get close to me. Folks rejected me. And so you made me whole again. And so now I, I'm definitely up to my eyeballs. And dead. And I said all of that to say this. That when I look back over my life. And I think about what God has done for me. And where God has brought me from, I too, like the Samaritan leper, am up to my eyeballs in debt. Let me tell you what brought me to this point. Last Monday, Pastor tricked me. He told us we were going to the movies with no kind of emotion, with nothing at all. He said we are going to see the movie Breakthrough. I even canceled an appointment because I was curious. I wanted to see what it was all about because pastor showed no emotion so I'm saying well what about this because pastor usually say it's a good movie it's, it's something but he said nothing and so when we got into the movie didn't know what it was about pastor was so cool and calm well pastor don't get upset he don't anyway and Pastor was so cool when he announced the name of the movie. And he announced the name without a whole lot of excitement. Uh, but I was still curious. I wanted to know what the movie was about. And the plot of the story raised a lot of emotions for me. In that, tears were rolling. And so many profound things were said and done in that movie that in the dark, I took my paper and pen out. I had an old envelope in my purse. And I started writing in the dark. I noticed that when I came out, I had written over something I'd already written. But it meant so much for me. And I was sitting next to Sister Catherine, and I could see her out of the corner of my eyes. She kept looking at me, 
because I'd write something and I'd put the paper back in my purse. I'd pull it out again and I'd write something else. And then after a while, I lost my pen and I started digging for my pen. Catherine said, are you all right? Yeah, I lost my pen. She said, well, let me see if I can help you. I may have one. She couldn't find one. But the tears kept flowing. So many profound things were said that I had to do what I had to do. And there was a quote in that movie that I found so profound. Yesterday isn't ours to recover. Tomorrow is ours to win or lose. Take that with you, my brothers and my sisters. We can't do nothing about yesterday. We can't recover anything from yesterday. But tomorrow is ours to win or lose. It's up to us. And so I tell you my story. I talk to you all about the ten lepers. I came home to Florida on December 14th. 2014, and when I came home, I was feeling kind of bad. I don't know if it was the change in the climate from South Carolina to Florida, but on December 23rd, we were sitting at dinner, and I just absolutely could not breathe. And I said to the family, I says, y'all, I can't breathe. Everything stopped. They took me to urgent care, which was near the house. The doctor there, and I wish I had gotten his name, was just awesome. Very calm. And he said to me, Miss Williams, we can't do anything for you here. We don't have the equipment. So I've had the nurse call an ambulance and and they will take you to Lakeland Regional. And all I remember was seeing the emergency sign over the door. They checked me in a room I kept coughing, I kept gasping, and my nephew came by who's an emergency room doctor, and he didn't alarm me either. He said, Auntie, he said, I, I'm going to talk to the nurse, and I'm going to say some things to her, but it turned out that I had con- uh, contracted a severe case of pneumonia. I told somebody the other day that I was in the coma for 23 days. And my daughter had notes from everything that happened. And she said, no, Ma, it was longer than that. She says, what do you mean? It was 33 days, wasn't it? No, 
get your pen out. She said, December 23rd. And there are 31 days in December. So there were eight days. And in January, there were 31 days. You didn't come out of the coma until February 3rd. And so we stop and we look at this. And so that's why I'm saying today, I'm up to my eyeballs in death. I sat there and I thought about all of that and I said, God, I, I'm truly up to my eyeballs in death. And from that time, and but let me share this with you. I was, while I was in the coma, I don't know when it happened. I don't know how often it happened. But there would always, every now and then, be this bright rectangular light. And it looks like fire was around the brim of that light. And in the middle of that big rectangular sign, the big bold words, choose life. And I would feel myself trying to move every time I saw it. I don't know. If it was there all the time. But I tried. And February 3rd, when they brought me out of the coma, the doctor said to me, Miss Williams, you're a spitfire. He says, what do you mean? He says, I've never had anybody come out from the kind, he didn't say come out, he said come back from the kind of pneumonia we had, you had. He says, I don't even know actually what kind it was, to tell you the truth. He says, and you have come out of this coma knowing all your children. I came out being feisty. One day when... I woke up from a nap and I didn't see my children. I didn't see anybody. And the nurses were just coming in and out of the room, coming and going. And I said, where are my children? Weeping. And the nurses just kind of ignored me. And finally to about the fourth or fifth one, I said, where are my children? Will somebody please tell me something and if you don't tell me something I want you to know that both of my children are in law enforcement and if you all don't tell me something I'm going to get their guns and I'm going to blow up the whole place they laugh for days Miss Williams what you say you going to do But then I remembered that who God is, that he's the master healer, and that I came out of that coma, but that wasn't the end of it. They sent me from Lakeland Regional to a hospital in an area called Land Lakes. It was an acute 
rehab hospital. And they said to my family, take her, take at least four weeks of clothes for her because she can't walk. We've got to teach her how to walk. We've got to teach her how to feed herself. She can't even hold a fork. We're going to have to put her in a lift to lift her in and out of bed. And they did that every day. But let me tell you this. After two weeks, I was lifting myself out of bed. I'm up to my eyeballs in debt. I was able. They kept holding on to me with some kind of belt and walking behind. The rehab person said, slow down, Miss Williams. You're moving too fast. But I'm up to my eyeballs in debt, y'all. Because there could have been a situation where I couldn't have moved at all. Life would have been over for me. And so they sent me back to Winter Haven Hospital. They said I'd probably be there another month. Two weeks. Y'all can take her home. This is what I'm talking about. I'm up to my eyeballs in debt. And then, let me tell you what else God did. I had over a million dollar hospital bill. But with God's help and support of the insurance company and the finance departments in each hospital, my final bill was $7,000. You tell me. Now you see while I'm up to my eyeballs in death. Now you see. Well, I don't mind praising God. I don't mind walking. I don't mind talking. I don't mind telling you all about who God is. I'm up to my eyeballs in death. I owe God a whole lot. I owe him my life and then some. And let me tell you something else. My two churches that I was pastoring, they still paid me my full salaries. And so my bills didn't get behind. Ah. I'm up to my eyeballs in debt. And some of my members rented a van, drove eight hours to Winter Haven Hospital to spend two days with me. And you talk about debt. I had people all the way up there who loved me and cared about me 
And as a matter of fact, when the doctor released me, they told my family, you all don't have to bring her back home. We'll come and get her. That's why I'm up to my eyeballs and dead. And church members set up schedules to make meals to help me clean my house. They said, Pastor, you don't have to come to the church for meetings during the week until you get stronger. We'll come to you. Up to my eyeballs in death. And so there were times when I could. Like the leper, I, I laid prostrate on the floor. And I thanked God for his grace and his mercy. And so this is what seeing that movie last week did for me. It helped me to understand that I got a whole lot to thank God for. Some of y'all sometimes will say, what you doing here? 8 o'clock service, 9.30 service, 11 o'clock service. I'm here because I'm up to my eyeballs in death. Y'all can talk about me if you want. I don't care because God 